Good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA on this friends and family day here in Arlington. Welcome to those who are across the screen there in Leesburg or whoever's watching from the comfort of their homes. Can't, you could not have picked a better day to come to the well because today we are starting a series called Unhurried that we are how we as human beings are not built for speed. And this series is based on a book that someone gave me probably three or four months ago. And it's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Can't recommend it enough. And it's a book that you know how sometimes you read a book and you like, you think about it for a little bit, then you read the next book and then the next book and then the next book or whatever it may be. Well, this is one of those books that, watch this, somebody gave it to me or someone told me about it. I went and bought it on Audible and I listened to the whole book. And then I did something I'd never done before in my life. I went back and re-listened to an Audible book. You've never done that before, have you? I re-listened to it because it was that good. And then I actually spent another $9.99 to buy it on the Kindle because I liked it that much. I didn't like it enough to get the paperback, but it was that impactful for me. And it's a book, like, again, most of the time you read a book and it helps you for a little bit, but then you move on. But this is one of those books that has been constantly running through my mind and running through my mind, and it's changed the way that I approach life. So I said, as soon as we start this new year, I want to share some of what I learned from this book here. And that's where this series comes from. It's called Unhurried. And even though I don't know many of you who are watching this, I don't know many of you watching on the other side of the camera, I know every single person here, but I bet you, I bet you that what we're going to talk about here today is going to be 100% applicable to your life. You know why I know that? Because I met a lot of people in my life. Probably, let's say, thousands of how many people I met. I met a lot of people in my life. And I heard a lot of people's stories. And I talked to a lot of people about a lot of different stuff. And I've never heard one. I've never heard one person say, my life, totally under control. My life, love the pace of life. This is the pace that I would, no one's ever said that. No one's ever said that I always feel like I'm exactly caught up on everything. No one ever says I got too much time on my hands. What everyone says is the exact opposite. And to prove it to you, to show you how hurried, 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 hurried we are, not even a global pandemic could slow us down. Think back to when COVID first hit. I know that was ages ago. But if you remember, we were all the exact same. We said, oh, it's so great to slow down. It's so great that I don't got to commute to work. It's so great that I don't do the soccer practice. It's so great to just slow down, slow down, slow down. 100% of us said that in the very beginning. And within less than a year, less than a year, and I want to say for some of us, it was like six months and maybe even four months. Many people said, I'm busier than ever. I'm busier than ever. Why? Because all the stuff that we did before that we had stopped, we learned how to do at home. So before you had to leave the house to go to work. Now you don't have to leave the house. You ain't got to change pajamas the whole time. Before you had to leave the house to do kids' activities. Now, learn the piano at home. I don't know how. You learn the piano at home on the internet or on the iPad. We figured out how to do everything that we used to do and all of our busy, 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 busy. Now we just did it all from home, so it made it even harder to have slow down and quiet time. And I think the reason why is because we as a society, we as a society, United States of America, 2023, especially this DC metropolitan area, I think we view speed and busyness as a badge of honor. Would you agree with that? We view speed and busyness as a badge of honor. I'll tell you how I know this. Is when someone meets me and they want to like compliment me or tell me, you know, like, like, as, like I've heard about you. I know you must be so busy. Someone just told me that the other day. I know you must be so busy. I'm going to be like, how do you know I'm busy? Like we never met before. How do you know I wasn't playing solitaire right before you called? Like, how do you know? But they're not saying that they know I'm busy. They're trying to compliment me. They're saying like, oh, you're, an, you're a great person. You must be busy. Because busy and great go hand in hand. 
You're an important person. You do great things. You must be busy because we have connected speed and busyness as a badge of honor. Even I was reading one time. If you think back to when we were young, well, when I was young, okay, some of you are still young, okay? I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. In the 80s and the 90s, when marketing ads wanted to depict a person of success, a person who has made it, you know how they would depict that person? Leisure. A guy in a sailboat with his wife. Or people sipping martinis by the pool. Or playing tennis in the middle of the day. Success when we were kids was seen as leisure. But today, that's not how marketing works. Success is the exact opposite. The success is the boardroom, the executive, the high rise. We've changed what we view as success. Before success was when I don't need to be busy, when I have time for myself. But today, exact opposite. We are obsessed with speed. Students are busy. Young parents are busy. Empty nesters are busy. Kids on winter break are busy. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm gonna go, uh, toddlers, like sometimes I go visit homes and it's like two-year-olds and three-year-olds and it's like, you know, we don't see you in Sunday school. Oh, Father Anthony, he's so busy. I'm like busy, I, but I, I hear the schedule, like between the naps and the feedings and the, the gyms and the, the, the piano lessons and the soccer, he's gotta try it for the Olympics. I'm like, yeah, I, I'd be busy too. Like, I'm not saying we should be lazy. Anyone who knows me knows that's not me. But what I'm saying is we've gone overboard as a society and as a culture. And you know, it's not just me saying it. Doctors would agree. Because did you know that there's now something in the uh, American dictionary, dictionary of, of, our, of United States of America called hurry sickness. It's now been defined as something called hurry sickness. I'll give you some definitions. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Some of us may have some hurry sickness. Another definition. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does this sound familiar? You're like, that's not a sickness. That's Tuesday, okay? That's what that is. The best definition was from a cardiologist named Dr. Meyer Friedman. And this cardiologist is the one who actually came up with this idea of hurry sickness and he studied the link between type A, go, go, go kind of personalities and heart disease. And he said this. He said, hurry sickness is a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Let me tell you the worst part about that definition. Dr. Friedman wrote that definition when? In the 1950s. What would he say about us today? In case you're wondering, do you have hurry sickness? Well, there's a quiz that we can take. I'm gonna put six questions up on the screen and you give yourself a score if you, get, if you have it or not. It's just a yes or no. Like, oh, so keep track of how many of these you would say yes to. You have hurry sickness, number one. If you treat everything like a race, you treat everything like a race. And some of you are like, yeah, it is a race and I'm winning. I gotta be honest, okay, this one, okay, so this series, this series about hurry, I'm telling you, this is a series for me first and foremost. Like, I'm just gonna be up here and I'm gonna be sharing, but don't think by any means I've mastered this, and especially this treat everything like a race, like this is me, okay? And I tell you, if you know, this is you. Are you the person in the grocery store, okay, that as you're approaching the line, you are doing the calculus and the math, okay, and calculating which line 
is the shortest. And you say, yeah, what's wrong with that? That's not the problem. The problem is when you get in one and you're like, I think that one's a little bit faster. And then you, okay, are you that person who does that? And then here's the best part. Here's the best part. That when you are in that position and you chose the best line and you lose, you feel bad the rest of the day that you lost. Okay, because you did the math and I was, it would have been on her, it would have been behind him, it would have been behind him and you do the math, okay? Are you the kind of person, again, this is, I'll be honest, that switches lanes as you're approaching the traffic light just to save one car length? Just to save one car length. To show you about me, okay? Marianne, when we were on our honeymoon, Marianne's a saint, okay, for putting up with me, just in case you didn't know, okay? We were on our honeymoon. So we had no kids, we had no responsibility, we had no nothing, we had nothing to do. We were in Hawaii, Okay, we stayed on an island called Maui. But when we were there, we wanted to go to church on Sunday because it was Sunday. And everyone goes to church on every Sunday, even on your honeymoon. There's no exemption from it. So we were on one island, and then we needed to fly to another island because that's where the church was. And what they have in Hawaii, they have these shuttles. They just go every hour. So you don't need to like, you just buy a ticket and you could go anytime, okay? So you could take the three o'clock, the four o'clock, the five o'clock, whatever it may be. Every hour you go. We're on a honeymoon with nothing to do. Liturgy finished, we head back to the airport. As soon as we get to the airport, I quickly do the math and say, the next one is leaving in like 20 minutes. If we rush, we can make it. So I'm telling Marianne, hurry up and pull the thing. And you've got to go to the bathroom, just hold it, okay? We're, and we're rushing and we're rushing and we're rushing. And as we're approaching the gate, she's like, why are we in a rush? <laughs> and my answer was, because everything is a race. And the sooner we get there, the sooner we can relax and the sooner we can, but we're on a vacation, but that's, that's, that's hurry sickness, is that everything is a race, everything is a rush. I have a great wife. She's stuck with me this far. Number two, let's move on. You frequently feel behind schedule. You frequently feel behind schedule. You always feel like no matter how much I worked, at the end of the day, I worked so hard, but there's always more to do, whether at home or at work or with the kids or my spiritual life, I always feel behind. Number three, you interrupt or talk over people. And you know why you do that? Because they're too slow. And you don't got time to listen to what they say. So if they're not going to finish talking, we're going to get what we got to get to say in there. Number four, you find it difficult to do just one task at a time. And I'll ask you this. How many of you, I won't ask show of hands, but how many of you, even while you're here at church, couldn't get through the church service today without sending at least one text or one email or responding or even just deleting something just to get something done? Just deleting, just hitting mark as red or whatever it may be. I won't ask for show of hands, but by the giggles. How many of you have ever done this? How many of you in the middle of doing a task wanted to add another task and then another task and you forgot what your original task was? Okay. Number five, you get irritable when experiencing a delay. And before you answer, so I'm very, <laughs> yes, okay. Before you answer, at least before you answer no, ask the people next to you. Okay, because I was this one, I was like, oh, that's clearly not me. And my daughter was, <laughs> that's what I got, okay? Ask the people around you. And then number six, you're obsessed with checking things off of lists. You're obsessed with checking things off of lists. And I'll give you extra credit if you, you really know you have hurry sickness. Extra credit if sometimes, be honest here, if sometimes you've done something and it's already done and you go write it on a list just to check it off. That's right, you've done it. You know that you have. Give yourself extra credit on that one. How'd we do? Anybody got a zero out of six. Anybody got a zero. Anybody got a one? Okay, I scored myself 
I gave myself a four. I went to my wife, she's so kind, she gave me a three. I went to my daughter, she gave me a seven. <laughs> she said one of them I deserve double points. <laughs> Bottom line, if we have hurry sickness, we gotta do something about it. We gotta do something about why. Here's our key thought for this series. Hurry is the number one enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry is the number one enemy of the spiritual life. That might be surprising to you. You would say, no, the number one enemy is the devil. The number one enemy is sin. The number one enemy is the world, the internet, pornography, uh, the liberals, the Republicans, Trump, Biden. Like, those are the number one enemies. And I'm telling you, all of those things, hurry is the number one enemy of the spiritual life. Carl Jung, okay, the famous psychologist who came up with the Myers-Briggs framework, guy who knew what he was talking about, he actually said the following. He said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And the reason why is because what hurry does, what's the goal of the devil? What's his goal? What's his ultimate objective? His objective is to separate me from God. That's what sin means, is separation. His goal is to disconnect me from God. Well, you know, the best way for the devil to disconnect us from God, if he can't make you sin, if he can't make you bad, if he can't make you commit murder and adultery and all those things, that's fine. Backup plan is easy. Just as effective, make you too busy to pay attention. Make you scattered. Make you thinking about this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And then we got disconnected. We kind of got lost from God. And here's the thing. If you get disconnected from God, I don't need to destroy you. You will destroy yourself. If you get disconnected from God, the devil doesn't have to do anything. You will destroy yourself. That's why for him, if he can't get us to do sin, he's just as happy to make you too busy to focus and connect with God, which is why so many of us, okay, this wasn't on our hurry quiz, but I could have added a seventh question for us church. How many say, when I pray, I can't focus. When I go to church, I'm always distracted. I can't sit in quiet time. Quiet time more than two minutes and my mind is everywhere. Because that's what the devil does. He wants to get us so hurried and so busy that our focus is on everything and it's scattered. And ultimately, if your focus is scattered, then your life is scattered and it'll never be meaningful in any way. Let me give you some quotes here. People describe a hurried life. This first quote is from someone named Walter Adams who was the mentor for C.S. Lewis. Okay, the spiritual mentor for C.S. Lewis. And he said this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow and unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances us. That's counter to what we think today. We think the faster we go, the more we get done. Hurry advances the cause. I'm a priest. Of course, I got to be in a hurry. Got to save more souls. Got to preach more sermons. Got to visit more people. Hurry, 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 hurry. No, hurry is the death. It never advances anything. Next one is from a Catholic priest, Father Ronald Rollheiser. He says this. He says, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. You agree with that sentence. Keeps going. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, or spirit. We like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual. Pathological busyness, all you medical professionals, that's a great term. 
pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Pathological busyness. Now look, sometimes being hurried is good. Sometimes being like in a rush is good. Uh, emergency, someone split their head open. Rush to 911, do not take your time. Do not walk with Jesus at that point in time. Rush to your nearest phone. The pregnant lady in the back and the water going everywhere, yes, rush, okay, run the, like, I'm all for it, okay? You're at uh, CeCe's Pizza Buffet and there's only one slice of that dessert pizza. You know the dessert one? Okay, they only bring out like every hour and a half it seems like, but there's, once it, so yes, there's one slice, you rush to your nearest dessert tray. But what I'm saying is we have adopted these are exceptions. They should be few and far between, but we've adopted busy and hurry and rush as our baseline, as our normal way of life. And that's what we need to be warring against. Because I got news for you. Hurry's not just against spiritual life. Hurry's against anything that's good in life. Love cannot be hurried. Love takes time. In fact, St. Paul says the first definition of love. Okay, love in 1 Corinthians 13, finish me out here. Love is patient. Love cannot be rushed. Love cannot be hurried. Gratitude cannot be hurried. The one who's in a hurry has never has enough time to stop and smell the roses. Wisdom doesn't come from rush, rush. Wisdom comes from the slow, the quiet, creativity, kindness, thankfulness, goodness, like anything that you want in life, generosity. All these things come when we're not hurried. So what I say is hurry is the predator of everything good in our lives. John Ortberg, famous author, says it this way. He says, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for, settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Hurry sickness. What are we going to do about it? Some of you sitting there saying to yourself, okay, Father Anthony, I'm convinced. I got the problem. What's the solution? Hurry up and tell me. I don't got time. Hurry up. Get to the solution. We're going to get to the solution. Let me tell you first what the solution is not. The solution is not, I wish I had more hours in my day. I used to think that. I used to think, you know what? It'd be great if like somehow God gave me access to an eighth day every week. Okay. Something between Thursday and Friday. Like I don't need another weekend. I'm saying like a Thursday part two. Okay. But then you know what I realized? And you know this to be true too. You know what you would do if you had extra hours in the day? You would do exactly what you're doing now. If I gave you four extra hours every day, you know what you would do? You would schedule six hours worth of stuff to do in that four hours. And I'll prove it to you. Tell me what you did in the last day off. Tell me what you did the last time you had a day off. You know what you did? You scheduled too much to do. You got to the end of it and said, I need a day off. The answer is not more time. If the answer was more time, like let's be honest, we have more time-saving devices today than there ever has been in the history of the world. Like back in the day, our parents cooked with crock pots. We today cook with instant pots. <laughs> our parents used to have to vacuum the house with their hand. We just turned the little Roomba on, okay? And she does everything. We have something called Google Maps and Waze that tells us exactly where to go. At all times, you can never get lost. You never need to think of directions. You just put the thing in and it tells you the optimum way to get there. We have more time-saving devices today than ever before. Yet, we are more rushed and hurried than ever before. The answer is not more time. The solution 
we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Actually, let's read this together. I want to hear everyone read this. I want to hear you in Leesburg read this with me as well. All together. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Key phrase, redeeming the time. That's what this series is all about. The solution is not more time. The solution is better use of the time. The solution is not how do we get more out of the hours that we have. The solution is what does God want us to be doing with those hours in the first place? And even though this is counter to everything that I believe and many of you believe as well, what I'm about to say, uh, it's hard for me to believe it, but I'm telling you it's true, is that sometimes, my wife's going to love this, slower is better than fast. Sometimes, not all the time, slow is better than fast. What I believe is that God has given each one of us exactly enough time to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. So if I'm rushed, and I'm scattered, and I'm hurried, and I'm frantic, and I'm chicken without a head cut off, one of two things. Either one, I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, or two, I'm doing what I should be doing, but not in the way that I should be doing them. But God has given me enough time. I want you to really internalize that. God has given you enough time to accomplish exactly what he wants you to accomplish. So if you don't have enough time, you're always frantic, either you're doing too much, or you're doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. And that is where we need to correct our course. The answer, okay, that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, is what's the solution to this? There is a solution. The solution is to follow the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't just stand up in heaven and tell us, y'all should do this, don't do this, go to... Jesus came down to earth, took our flesh, and he lived on this earth. And he accomplished a lot. We'll see that in a second. He accomplished a lot, but he was never hurried. And at one point, Jesus gave us this verse. This verse is going to kind of set the tone for us for the next four weeks. It's a verse that I'm sure you've heard before. You probably have it hung up like it's, you go to visit homes, you see this verse all the time. And it's one of those verses that we just kind of read, say, that's very nice, and we don't ever do what it tells us to do. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say that again, I will give you, I will give you rest. Isn't that what everyone's looking for? Isn't that what everyone wants? Anyone not want rest? Like that word rest, four little letters, encompasses everything I want in life. The reason I'm go, 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 go is to get to the rest. The reason I push myself, the reason I work hard, the reason everything is to get to that rest. And Jesus says, you're tired. You're heavy laden. I got you. I got rest. And we're like, okay, great. Jesus, give us rest. But then we have to read the rest of the verse. The next verse and the verse after that tell us how to get it. 29 and 30. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, you want rest? Come to me, all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So who here in this room here today or watching online, who here has access to rest? Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Jesus says, I want to give you rest. But the means by which he gives it to us is what? Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Y'all know what a yoke is? Yoke is that thing. Can you know when you have two ox, oxen, 
okay? And that, that thing that goes on their necks, okay, you stick this neck in, and you stick this neck in, and then they pull the thing together. It's a way to tie two oxen together so that they can combine their power together. So when an ox is tied to another ox on the yoke, if one wants to go left, the other can't go right. Either we both go left, or we both go right. And it's the stronger of the two that usually dictates it, that always dictates it. So Jesus is saying, you want rest? Take my yoke upon you. Now, the, the strange thing right off the bat is yoke, I don't usually connect it with rest. Yoke sounds like work. Like if he would have said, take my hammock upon you. That would make sense. Take my mattress, take my couch, take my two-bedroom ocean view condo, like something like that. Yeah, I see how that's going to lead to rest. But what Jesus is saying is, take my yoke. So the answer here, this is important. The answer is not to do nothing. Rest doesn't come from do nothing. Rest comes from do the right thing. It's to live a life of work and live a life of, 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 of productivity, but in the right way and doing what Christ does. <clears throat> Actually, this idea of take my yoke upon you was an idiom, a common phrase that was used back in the day that when a rabbi would come, so you want to be my disciple, I would say take my yoke upon you. So what that means is, is you take the lifestyle of the rabbi. So I want to be your disciple. That means that I take on your lifestyle. I do the things you do. So the way you view religion, I view religion. The way you, you view money, I view money. The way you view prayer, the way you view your enemies, that's what that means. And every rabbi had a quote-unquote yoke. So what Jesus is saying is, there's many yokes out there. Take my yoke. And when you carry my yoke, and you walk in my footsteps, and you live life the way I lived, and you approach money, and you approach uh, your career, and you approach family, and you approach prayer in the way that I approach it, then you will find rest for your souls. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, this is an overlooked principle in, in the church today. Now stick with me here on this one. We focus a lot today on what Jesus taught us to do, which is good. I'm not saying that's bad. That's very good. Me as a teacher, I really, I, like, that's what I love. Jesus taught us to love, we should love. Jesus taught us to forgive, we should forgive. Jesus taught us to give, we should give. We always focus a lot of our time on what Jesus taught us to do. But here's the important part. Listen carefully. What Jesus taught us to do is only half the story. We don't want to just follow what Jesus taught us to do we want to follow what Jesus actually did. Because it's not just his teachings, it's his life. Jesus didn't come just to give his teachings. If the goal was just teachings, there was much more efficient ways to do it. Send an email, send a book, do a sermon series, weekly podcast. Like if the goal was just this piece of information, he could have sent it. But that's not what he did. What did he do? John tells us this, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just give us teachings. He gave us life. And when he went around, he didn't say, I need students to read my teachings and take the test. He didn't say, my goal is to give you knowledge. He says, what I need is what? Disciples. Disciples means people who follow me, people who live with me, people who know what I do first thing in the morning. People who watch me, what I do on that extra day, that extra special day of the week, that Sabbath day. People who see not just how I am in front of the multitudes, but when the multitudes go away, how I recharge. Jesus wants disciples. Jesus wants to give us a way of life. Jesus doesn't want to just teach us. Jesus wants to show us. And this is where I think we're missing it today. 
What we do today is we look at it and say, Jesus taught this, this, and this. Okay, but he lived this way. He did this. We say, oh, but that, that doesn't apply today. That's like 2,000 years ago. Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, like this whole idea of like a Sabbath day, up on a mountaintop, all hours in prayer, like all this stuff, that, that, that doesn't make any sense for today. Well, I'm telling you, that's the path. That's the path. Jesus could offer rest because his lifestyle was an unhurried lifestyle. And I'll even say it this way. Oh, sorry, this is something that we say in the Divine Liturgy, and I'll get you what I was going to say. In the Divine Liturgy, we say that he was incarnate and became man and taught us the ways of salvation. You know what those ways of salvation are? It's the lifestyle. It's the rhythm of life that he had. It's the time that he spent in the prayer. The ways of salvation, the way he approached it. And that's why I'm going to say this. Look through the scripture, and I promise you, there isn't a single instance where Jesus was in a hurry. Did you ever notice that? There isn't a single instance where we can find Jesus in a hurry. Can you even imagine a stressed out Jesus? Like, can you imagine Jesus like snapping at his mom? Where's dinner? Late again. Thomas, hurry up, get the donkey. Can you imagine Jesus with like the multitudes and we need healing and Jesus is like, you know what? Okay, hold on a second. I'm just, you know what I mean? Just like, give me one second. Just texting and be like, can, can, can you put it in an email? Okay, and, and one of my assistants, uh, the Thaddeus, no one knows what he does. He doesn't do anything. Okay, yeah, but Thaddeus will respond to you within 20. Like, can you imagine Jesus doing that? Snapping at someone? You can't, because it never happened. Now you say, okay, you know what? Jesus wasn't as busy as I am. He didn't have kids in diapers. He didn't have two jobs. He didn't have my, my econ professor. Jesus didn't have the pressures that we have today. And I say to you, I beg your pardon. Did you know that Jesus <clears throat> accomplished more in three years than most of us will accomplish in our lifetime? Three years, he accomplished more than any of us will accomplish in our lifetime. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cured the blind. He cast out demons. That ain't easy work. I look at my to-do list. My to-do list may say, prepare a sermon. Jesus to do this would say, save the world. <laughs> Don't ever think that Jesus wasn't busy. Don't ever think that, I'm sure, let me say better. Don't ever think that Jesus didn't have stuff to do. Don't ever think that Jesus didn't, wasn't as productive as you. Oh, but I'm a student. Oh, but I got a kid in diapers. Oh, but uh, my husband gets lost in the kitchen if I don't make him a sandwich. Like he, can, he spend, turns himself around, don't know what he's doing. With all due respect, Jesus had more on his plate than you and I, but he was never hurried. That's why we always say, walk with Jesus, walk with Jesus, walk. It never says run with Jesus. Walk with Jesus, because Jesus never ran. I'll give you this verse right here, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Just, I could have brought you 10 verses to say the same thing. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. This is just a normal day, day of ministry. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. You know, if this was telling me the story of me or you, it wouldn't say he walked by the Sea of Galilee. You know what it'd say? He ran out the house, okay, frantically, grabbed his coat, threw in the thing, grabbed a protein bar in case he got stuck on whatever, backed out of the driveway 100 miles an hour, was making three phone calls, weaved in and out of traffic, and he beat the GPS by two minutes, okay, and it was a great day because of that. Be honest. I look at my life. There's hardly a day that goes by that I'm not in a hurry. There's hardly a day that goes by that I'm not rushing somewhere. But Jesus never once hurried. <clears throat> if we want the rest that Jesus offers, 
then we have to do the things that Jesus did. Or said another way, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, rest, joy, peace, love, all those things, then we must first adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And again, this is one that we've, we've disconnected these things. We've disconnected the life of Jesus from the lifestyle. We think the life of Jesus that he offers, we just need to pray and maybe he'll give it to us. Maybe it'll come from the sky. Uh uh. The lifestyle of Jesus is not a mystery. I'm sorry, the life of Jesus is not a mystery. It comes from the lifestyle of Jesus. And let me show you what this means, make it practical for you. Here we are at the start of the new year. Everyone, okay, you know, we don't believe in resolutions, we don't believe in goals, but we all want to get better and we all want to make whatever. So, whatever you call it, okay, we don't like to call it resolutions because that feels whatever, but. We all want to get better. And at the start of every year, most of us would say that we want to get in shape. We want to be a little bit leaner. We want to be a little more, uh, better uh, cardio shape or better muscular. We don't, at least don't want to need like a half time going up the stairs, okay? Like we want to be able to do certain things. We want the life of an in-shape person. But then what happens? We discover that the life requires a lifestyle. The lifestyle we're not so eager about. The lifestyle requires getting up early to exercise. That's not as much fun. The lifestyle requires less burger and fries, more salad and smoothie. Not so much fun. The life that we want, which we say that's what it is, but the lifestyle to get there is drinking them water or herbal teas or them kombuchas or whatever it may be, and a lot less of my chocolate mocha caramel frappuccino smoothie surprise, whatever it is. And when it comes down to it, we say, I want that life, but I ain't willing to do the lifestyle. And then another year goes by, and then we try again next January. Copy and paste. Maybe we're doing the same thing with Jesus. I want the life of Jesus. He was always at peace, I want peace. He was always at rest, I want rest. He was always under control, I want that. But the life of Jesus doesn't come without the lifestyle of Jesus. And that is what we're going to talk about in this series over the coming four weeks. Every week, we're going to take one practice. This is not an exhaustive list. Jesus' life is too much to put into, into four weeks or four years or four decades. But we're going to take four practices that Jesus practiced regularly, that were part of his regular rhythm of life, that was his lifestyle, and that we today think, that doesn't work for me. That, but I'm going to show you, hopefully, that together, maybe we can take some steps. I'll give you the, the outline. Here's the four. Each week, we're going to take one of these. Jesus practiced these four things regularly. Number one, silence and solitude, which are bad words today. Number two, Sabbath, which means I got bad news. It's going to be more, it's going to be a lot more than just show up for an hour at church on a Sunday. Jesus' idea of Sabbath was much more than that. Number three, simplicity. Number four, slowing down. This was the formula that Jesus used to have peace and joy and wisdom and strength and self-control and prayer and depth. This was the formula. And I believe it can be yours as well. I don't think what we're going to see together, at least I hope we'll see together, is that it's not as hard. It's not, I shouldn't say it's not as hard. It's not as impossible as we may think. Because here's what we're going to do. There's power when we do something together. There's power when all of us together are saying, you know what, this is foreign to us, but we're going to do it together. We're going to pray. We're going to try. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to do our best and together. So what I'm telling you is, you can come to church anytime. You can slow down anytime. You can do anything you want anytime. But there's power when we together as a church family are all doing it, and I don't want you to miss it. So what I'm challenging you to do, I'm challenging you is to show up next week ready to go. 
ready to start practicing some new rhythms in life, ready to adopt some of these practices that, again, we look at it and we say, that's not for me. I'm busy. My kids, my activity, my career. And I'm going to challenge you to say, you know what? No, because this may be the time. This may be the, the get out of jail free card that I've been waiting for. The God looking at my life and me looking at my life and saying, this is out of control. This can't continue. Well, here's our chance to do something about it. And I think what you're going to discover is I'm going to ask you to do some things. I'm going to ask you to give up some things. But I think what you're going to discover if you, as, you, as you go through this journey, as I've been discovering over the last few months since I started this, is you're not actually giving up anything. You're actually investing in the most important thing. You're investing in yourself. You're investing in your soul. You're investing in quality of life. Last thing, there's a saying. I used to be a, before I was a priest, I was a consultant, an IT consultant. So there's a saying in the IT world, probably in the business world, it's everywhere. And it's this, it's that every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results it gets. You've heard this before? Every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results it gets. So your life is a compilation, it's a system. You have a system of what you do first thing in the morning. You have a system of how you approach a weekend. You have a system of how you pray. You have a system. And the results that you're getting are directly related to the system. And you know the definition of insanity, you've heard this before, is someone who does the same thing and expect different results. That's how we are. We look at that, we approach the new year and we say, we want different results this year. Okay, change the system, but I'm not gonna change the system. If you don't change the system, you're not gonna change the results. And if you do think that, then you're a, you're not that smart person. Well, the same is true in life. We want rest. You gotta be willing to change the system. Because the amount of rest that you have right now, the amount of busyness, the pace of your life is controlled by the system of your life. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take back control. We're gonna change the system. We're not gonna, we're not gonna wait for some magical pill to come down from heaven that all of a sudden makes life slow. We're not gonna wait for extra hours to drop from heaven. What we're gonna do is just like we talked about earlier. We are going to this year say that yoke of Jesus, we're going to take that yoke. And we're going to live as he lived. It's going to be hard. It's going to be foreign to us, but we're going to take steps in that direction. Not just to follow his teachings, but to follow his lifestyle and the rhythms of his life. Next week, we're going to get into the first practice. But your homework this week is to go through these six. Hurry sickness, okay? And if you didn't grab a handout, take a picture of the screen right now. I want you to take these six criteria, these six questions, and I want you to be honest and grade yourself every day for the next seven days. I want you to give yourself a grade because it's easy to sit here and say, you know what? I'm good. I'm fine right here. But I want you to get to the end of the day tomorrow that I want you to say that I treat today like a race, that I feel behind schedule. I'm telling you right now, I already feel behind schedule for tomorrow, okay? And a lot of some of us that way. Okay, it's Sunday, I feel behind for Monday already. So check on that one. Interrupt. Find difficult to do just one task. Irritable when experiencing a delay or obsessed with checking things off. Take a picture of it. Grade yourself daily because you cannot solve a problem until you first realize that it exists. But my hope and my prayer is that this week God will reveal to us that we have a problem and my hope is that we'll come to church next week ready for the solution. Because I promise you, the hurry, the rush, the frantic, as I titled this message, there's got to be a better way. That's not how God designed us. There's got to be a better way, and there is, and it's the way of Jesus. Next week, we'll start digging into what that looks like. Let's stand together for a prayer.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you don't just give us teachings, that you don't just tell us what to do and shout it out from heaven, but you came down and took flesh. You lived on this earth. You know exactly everything that we've gone through and that we will go through, and you know a hundred times more. You showed us, Lord, the path. You showed us the way to salvation. And I pray that you would help us, all of us, Lord, to come to that point where we realize that the current way we're doing it is not working. And we come, Lord, to you humbly, ready to accept your way, to take on your yoke, to learn from you, and to live as you lived. Help us, Lord, this week to be prepared for what the work that you want to do in our lives. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Here it says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hopefully we'll see you back next week for part two in Unheard.